Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti and we thank you for joining us on this uh, very sad Thursday for Jose Mourinho and Duncan Castles and all those who believed in uh, the dream. In the studio with us today, it's James Gearbrandt down the line joining us for at least part of his segment because he has a very busy day. It's Oliver Kay. Also joining us in the studio on this uh, this, uh, this bumper Thursday, it's Allison Rudd. And joining us is a former Fulham defender and all-around warrior of the light, Brede Hangeland. And he'll be discussing his uh, countryman from Norway, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who, of course, is the new interim Manchester United manager. And that's because of a tumultuous week at Manchester United. We spent a lot of time on this podcast this season discussing Jose Mourinho, but we won't be doing much of that. After today, I know. This is the last uh, time for a while. Unless there's some sudden emergence at another club in the Premier League. Who Maybe knows? Maybe he'll replace with, Pochettino with at Spurs. <gasps> oh. Or Frank at Brentford. Oh, no. Anyway, that was because obviously Jose Mourinho was sacked on Tuesday morning as the Manchester United manager. So let's get Alison's take on it. What did you make? Is it the right decision? Right time? With hindsight, it has to be the right decision because there are so few supporters even expressing mild regret at it. I think uh, on that... Wait, 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 sorry. Are you implying that sacking should be done based on how the supporters feel about it? No, I'm saying with hindsight, the the club will be feeling pleased with themselves because there isn't a backlash. Because they made a popular decision. They made a popular decision. Okay. And ultimately, a club like Man United do care about its fan base. They do. They're an enormous fan base. They need them to keep the money ticking in. So, yeah, I think I think with hindsight, it was a good, deci- good decision. I think it's significant that the fans stuck with Mourinho for as long as they did. Whenever there was a glimmer of something they found attractive a fight back perhaps or some free-flowing football um, they would support him I think he was given every chance to try and buy into what people call the Man United vibe and he steadfastly refused to do so something had to give and Mourinho was the one that's a really good point you make about the supporters because again talking hindsight here but looking back I look at Mourinho's behavior his results the lack of direction the stupid things he said we take it. I know we take it for granted, and it is, it is what being a fan is all about. But it took so long for for supporters to kind of stop believing. When he does finally speak, there's no way he's going to complain about the support he got from the fans. Well, he it's has just, put just, out a statement, hasn't he? 
Has he? Yes. It's probably some kind of anodyne coach. Uh, yeah, it's talking about mentally proud to wear the badge of Manchester right. United and uh, he believes all United supporters will recognise this. What I found interesting in the statement is when he says, uh, each time a chapter is closed, I show my deepest respect and I don't make any comments about my former colleagues. Didn't mind uh, making comments during his time as the manager, but now he won't make any comments, <laughs> which I find quite funny. Um, but he's a, he's a man who likes conspiracy theories and sees the world me against the world but I, I think there was no conspiracy theory at Manchester United he was given money he was given support and it boiled down to him versus Woodward so Ollie, the last time United changed managers this early in a season was when Ron Atkinson was sacked in November 1986 so how surprising is it that they've acted now well obviously it, um, it, it reflects a desperation and a, a desperate need for well desperate desire for change at Manchester United. He only signed a new contract um, last January and um, yeah, as we've seen several times with Mourinho, a new, a new improved contract is followed by a dramatic um, decline in results and a, um, and a sort of souring of the mood and I'm told that the mood was fairly toxic with it, within the dressing room at the training ground etc. So that is why they felt just like Chelsea... Um, Three years ago, they had to change mid-season. I, I feel pretty much Manfield on Sunday evening that it was a performance that, that you know, that felt like a final straw performance. I, I felt other performances this season have been much worse. I did agree with him when he said that the eleven players on the pitch on Saturday or on Sunday looked like they were competing and trying, which hasn't always been the case with Manchester United this season. Oh, but oh, you, you say that there's been a decline, um, but from where I sit, given the club, given the performance, given the Mourinho status, this is different. This is, you know, it, compared to his previous jobs at Real Madrid and at Chelsea, they won something. He had the enthusiasm. People were, were behind him. They looked to be on an, on an uptick. They won important trophies. Here, I think it's kind of been rubbish for two and a half years. And the Europa mm. League and the League Cup are basically, as the expression goes, uh, Lipstick on a pig. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I, at no point in the first season was I thinking, oh, look, he's doing a really great job here. Obviously, they, they, they won those two trophies. They got beat Holland, Southampton in the semi-final and final of the League Cup. Uh, not terribly convincing me. And they beat, was it, Celta Vigo and Ajax and, and elect the people like that to win the Europa League. So it wasn't even the greatest, um, you know, it wasn't like some incredible feat to win those trophies. It, it's certainly not an incredible feat of management, but it, obviously they finished second last season. I, I always felt with Mourinho United, it would start strongly and, and would, you know, soar and they would win a big trophy or two and then it would come crashing down within sort of two and a half, three years. The difference is that, that it didn't start spectacularly at all. It's, it's, been, it's felt like a sort of joyless, loveless marriage right from the start. And yes, they did win those trophies, but... Um, but I, what I would say is that even though we're saying it, you know, it, it, was, it was all terrible all from the start, the results last season were good enough to get them to second in the Premier League with a, with a respectable, well, very good competitive point total. Performances weren't terribly good. There, there was never any sense of direction. But that progress that was made last season in terms of results was followed by a dramatic drop in results this season. And, and with... Some disagreements behind the scenes, disagreements about transfer policy, and disagreements about what a director of football might mean. Um, obviously, the very high-profile fallouts with with a number of the players and and 
very little affection and trust and loyalty from certain other players. It's uh, it made for a pretty toxic atmosphere and there was nothing on the pitch to support it. Uh, James, of course, this is the second time in quick succession we've seen his this sort of style of exit for, from Mourinho after he fell out with the dressing room at uh, Chelsea in 2015. What about his style of management? Does that not work anymore? Has the game moved on from that? I think that the game in some senses have has left him behind. I mean, obviously, ever since the sort of the style of football that Pep Guardiola ushered in that sort of with very choreographed attacking movements and particularly defending high up the pitch has become more and more widespread and Mourinho has found he has never really developed a way to either do that himself or or to kind of to match it if you like obviously we've seen him kind of thwart high pressing teams in individual games but never touch the heights that they're capable of over the course of a of a season I think people have sort of talked as well about how his inability to kind of understand the young generation of footballer and how, you know, in his pomp, he used to work with sort of grizzled, gnarl pros like John Terry and Walter Samuel and Marco Materazzi, who sort of, you know, were okay with being shouted at in a way that Paul Pogba is not. I think that perhaps has been the extent to which those people love being balled out by Mourinho has maybe been slightly overplayed. I think also he's kind of lost his aura, I think before people were kind of willing to follow him to the fire because I think they felt they were playing for the best manager in the world and I don't think he has that aura anymore and that I think is why he's stopped being able to get a tune out of some players. And I also feel just just quickly, to some extent, I feel that the values of the game have sort of slightly moved on as well. I think when Mourinho was in his pomp, maybe sort of, you know, 10 years ago or so, there was a real sense that winning trophies was absolutely the most important thing and could redeem a lot of flaws, basically. And I think now, you know, look at the man who is being touted to replace him, Mauricio Pochettino, a man who has never won a trophy, but extremely widely admired for the style of football that he plays. What type of club would employ somebody who does now has a tainted reputation in terms of being able to bring through youth or care about youth, whose reputation for dealing with big stars has now been ruined, because he used to be able to do that. His reputation for playing attractive football has gone. His reputation for being diplomatic has gone. So who, who then wants that manager? The thing about bringing through youth football, that's something that people say they care about maybe they do care about it a little bit in england they cared about it a little bit at united i think that's that's one of those things that he's been accused of i don't know i mean mctominy rashford i don't know to what degree that's really fair an indictment of them or how much most clubs actually care about that versus versus being productive the other points are all fair um i think you're looking at at a second tier club um he's been he was linked with inter milan even with a return to inter milan even before um before he was sacked and it's indicative you know, I think James made a great point before about how results are so important, right? Inter Milan are the last club, in fact, they're the only club that he has left on good terms other than Porto. Would they take him back? Were they to change their manager and whatever? Possibly. But even then, remember, I talk about how important results were. This is a guy who, in April of his last year at Inter Milan, when they were in the Champions League semifinal, they were competing for a treble, he was having meetings with Real Madrid about joining them. This is a guy who, and this is something I witnessed myself, but you can see this on YouTube because it's on YouTube. After they win the final and the finals in Madrid, he goes and he leaves the stadium in a car with the Real Madrid president, despite having a contract or whatever. 
Now, it's very obvious to me that had they somehow screwed up the final or had they screwed up winning the trouble, which, by the way, they almost did, he'd be thought of as some kind of, you know, turncoat Benedict Arnold. But that didn't happen. They didn't care that he went and he was talking to other clubs while professing his eternal love for Inter because ultimately he he delivered. Um, But it was touch and go. Is he more mercenary than the average top manager then? I don't know that he's mercenary. I mean, I think Real Madrid had the biggest job in, in football. Right? Yeah, I mean, okay, this doesn't work on anybody. Allison just made <laughs> a big money sign, right? I, I don't know. I mean, money is a way of keeping score to some people, but he's made so much money that I don't think it's that. I think he, he's been to Real Madrid. He's been there. He's done that. He's managed Real Madrid. He's managed Manchester United. And he's won two trebles with two other clubs. And he's won three Premier League titles with Chelsea. This is a status in the game. So maybe he would want to do something different. Maybe he would want to go for for another project. Maybe it would be a rebuilding project. Maybe it would be about getting somebody on the map rather than a ready-made team. Maybe he's not going to be so bothered about that. Maybe he'll go and manage an international team. Maybe Portugal when Fernando Santos leaves. Maybe somewhere else. I I don't know. I mean, I I have little doubt that he will be back. But I also hope that he takes his time away for for his own sake. Maybe listens less to the people around him who are toadies and keep telling him how great he is and says, all right, I'm not going to suggest I did anything wrong, but what could I have done differently which would have strengthened my position and which would have kept me there? Um, and I think he's intelligent enough. He may well do that. Ollie, can you just throw us forward because we, you know, we had some really good coverage from, from Paul Hurst and Martin Ziegler about what United are going to do next. Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is coming in on an interim basis. He'll be helped by Sir Alex's old friend Mike Phelan. The conventional wisdom is that they'll appoint a director of football and take a, a run at a really top manager who, who may be Pochettino, maybe somebody else. Do you have any sense of the timings, especially on this director of football thing? Is he going to, if they do, A, are they going to do it? And B, if he does come in, will it, will it be early enough that he'll play a part in the manager search? Well, I mean, there's been there's been talk of uh, Paul Mitchell, who's ex-Spurs, and, and he's a buddy of Pochettino's, who's obviously now working in Germany. But it wouldn't be very easy to get to get him um, quickly. It wouldn't be very easy to get anybody who's in work quickly. I mean, there's been talk of Monchi and, and, and people like that. But it's it's not easy to get the to get somebody in quickly. And and if you were then talking about that being the the, the, the um, sort of facilitator for, for, for hiring a manager. Well, that, that, that's that's two very very difficult processes to do. If, if you talk about two people who are in work, um, Pochettino is clearly. Um, I mean, it, it, it was understood or even prior to um, Tuesday that Pochettino was somebody that United board really liked and really rated and would consider for Mourinho's replacement when the time comes. Those those sort of whispers have have, have grown louder from within Old Trafford over the last. A few days. I was at um, the Emirates last night watching watching Spurs beat Arsenal in the um, in the League Cup, and I, I totally understand and recognise and realise why Pochettino would be sort of frustrated at Spurs at times and would feel um, are things going to get better. But in the past five years ago, certainly when when, when um, Ferguson stood down, and even sort of two or three years ago, leaving Spurs for for Manchester United would have been an absolute no brainer. I think for any manager or player but you look at it now obviously Manchester United are a far bigger club obviously they've got far more money but are there short to medium term prospects better than Tottenham's I don't think they are well let's focus on Solskjaer then and uh, James what will be the remit for him from a tactical point of view 
I think that's an interesting tension because I think in as much as that, obviously the, the rationale for appointing Solskjaer depends a lot on the fact that he was an ex-player at Manchester United, his popularity, and, and clearly that's a huge part of it. I think in as much as there is a kind of tactical rationale for appointing this fairly obscure manager, it, it, it simply, he is, you know, he has a reputation as being a somewhat attacking manager. And this is, you know, so the rationale goes, uh, an attack that, you know, is in need of just someone to play some slightly more progressive football and kind of let the handbrake off a little bit. What's interesting, though, is that if you actually look at Manchester United and, and their, their performance this season, the kind of underlying numbers, the attack is actually has been okay. I mean, it hasn't been great. It was clear there's room for improvement, but the attack has been kind of more or less functional. The real basket case is their defence. I mean, obviously, expected goals can vary, but I was looking at something before, which said that United are ranked 14th for expected goals against this season. I mean, that is that is terrible. And I think were it any other club but Manchester United you would be bringing in someone at this stage of the season. The sensible thing to do would be bringing someone to kind of tighten up the defence and sort of more or less let the attack do its thing, which is obviously not the idea of hiring Solskjaer. I don't know, maybe that's why Mike Phelan has been hired to kind of tighten up the defence a little bit. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And here is one for you on this very podcast. The question is, who are the two Premier League clubs without an English goal scorer this season in the Premier League? Oh, this is a good one. It is. Oh. Stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. Don't read ahead, dear Brent. <laughs> dear Brent. I genuinely haven't. For, for perhaps the first time all season, actually, I actually haven't read ahead to the end. So, as mentioned, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the new Manchester United manager until the end of the season on a caretaker basis. Solskjaer scored 126 goals for United, including, of course, the goal that secured the treble in Barcelona in 1999. And we're joined now by his former international teammate with Norway, the former Fulham defender Breda Hangeland. Uh, Breda, you now work as a pundit for Norwegian television. You tweeted yesterday that it was a fantastic day for Norwegian football. How's the news then been received? Uh, well, I think this is one of the biggest news stories uh, for many, many years in Norwegian football. Um, obviously, because of the size of this appointment for uh, for Solskjaer, but also, if I'm honest, because Norwegian football is not in a very good place at the moment. So uh, we are desperate for some good news, and uh, everyone is uh, is really happy and, and uh, pleased for him. Uh, but obviously, for Solskjaer, now the hard work starts. Uh, Bridget. If you type your name and Roy Hodgson's name into Google, one of the first results you get is an article by you where you make your all-time lazy 11. It's on the, from the BBC website. Um, I can't actually open it, so I, you're, I'm not going to out anybody who you've described as lazy. But obviously that's been one of the themes this year. It was one of the stories that I think Mourinho's camp has put out is that, well, it's not his fault. It's the players. They're not working hard enough. He benched Paul Pogba. And there's been this idea that it's been the player's responsibility. Obviously, Solskjaer has worked with Pogba back in the days when, when Pogba was a youngster. And I think uh, Solskjaer was in charge of the uh, of the reserves. 
I mean, I don't know Solskjaer. You know him better than I do. He doesn't seem to be like somebody who would, you know, necessarily have much in common with Pogba. But he obviously has a good relationship with him. And, and do you think he can, he can motivate it? Do you think that this idea of a lazy footballer is a little bit overplayed? Yeah, I think um, the dynamics of a changing room uh, is something I know really well. Obviously, I haven't been in the Manchester United changing room. But um, from, from looking at them play, all of these world-class players, uh, it's almost impossible to imagine them doing any worse than they've done lately. Um, and and you, can, uh, you can put the responsibility, obviously, on, on the individuals. But at the end of the day, I think that the, the main task for any manager is to uh, bring out the best in the players. Uh, and if, for any reason, uh, the manager is not able to do that, then uh, he has a big problem. And obviously, uh, Jose Mourinho has paid, paid the price by losing his job. So uh, Solskjaer, uh, in my uh, view, and I know him quite well, he's the, he's the polar opposite of Mourinho when it comes to uh, management style and communication with players. And the wish to uh, get everyone on board towards uh, moving in the right direction, the same direction. Whereas uh, Manchester United, the last few months, has looked like uh, more or less like a chaotic circus with uh, personal agendas. Uh, Ole Gunnar will uh, will definitely explain to them where he wants to go and uh, and do it in a nice way, a positive way, uh, and hope that they uh, they're on board with him. And I I would like to think after the the recent weeks and recent results, the players will really want that kind of communication and they will want to to get on board and just play with a bit more freedom and a bit more uh, uh, positivity than they have been lately. Uh, Breda, um, obviously things haven't gone well for Manchester United since Alex Ferguson's retirement. Do you think he'll have any influence on Solskjaer as well? I'm convinced he, uh, he will have an influence. I'd be surprised if he didn't have anything to do with this appointment as well because... Uh, I think, you know, I've met many people and, and never have I come across a man so influenced by someone else uh, other than his parents, that being Solskjaer being influenced by Sir Alex Ferguson. So, so any, anything that he does, uh, his, his management style, even his way of being as, as, a, as, a, as a person is, uh, is uh, almost a copy of Sir Alex Ferguson. He takes all his knowledge from... Uh, from uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's way of uh, managing, and uh, yeah, that's that's what it, what he'll try to do. Obviously, he hasn't proven this uh, at the level anywhere near Manchester United, and uh, and that's why I can understand also the the slight. You know, some people are have, having doubts about this, but um, he will definitely try and do things the right way, uh, and then uh, it, it remains to be seen whether he succeeds. Uh, but at the moment, I think it's a it's um, it's a good appointment. Um, it's uh, a great opportunity for him, and and he'll try and rally the troops around something positive. Finally, at Manchester United. Breda, you said it was such a big news story in in Norway, and everyone's very excited about it. But isn't there a danger that if if Ole simply replicates what happened? when he was at Cardiff and is out of his depth, and he did confess he was out of his depth, that it becomes a bit of an embarrassment for Norwegian football if at the end of his tenure it's just not gone very well at all? Yeah, there is always this risk. Uh, you know, I think being the manager of Manchester United it surely has to be one of the most complicated, difficult jobs you can have, not just in football, but in any walk of life. It's... Uh, it's constant pressure from every direction, and whatever you say, every little 
even your body language is analyzed by people like us. Uh, and so you really have to uh, have some luck in the beginning. Uh, and then whatever skill you have will, will come through uh, uh, eventually. But uh, it's, it's a massive job for him and, and uh, a great challenge. But he has, he has a couple of things going for him, I think. Number one, he loves that football club like, like anyone, uh, like any long-standing fan. And also he has this positivity about him, um, which I think is, a, is, is kind of a basic human psychology thing. You want, uh, you want something to smile about and you want someone who can uh, bring the best out of you. And that's what he'll try to do. He obviously was at United, where, which was, uh, as a player, was a very successful team, had the ball all the time. Then he goes to manage Molde, uh, which I presume was successful. And again, an attacking team had the ball all the time. Then he goes to Cardiff, a small team, limited resources. You have to play without the ball a lot more and be more defensive. Um, and then he goes back to Molde, where he's had another experience. In some ways, is it going to be easier for him? Because obviously Molde is not Manchester United, but they are second in the league. So he is more used to having the tools to play attacking football than he would have at Cardiff. Yeah, I think, I think you make a very good point there. Um, there. There are certain managers who will suit bottom clubs and other managers will suit uh, the, the top clubs and a prime example in my uh, career is Roy Hodgson who I hold up as the greatest manager I've worked with he did not succeed at Liverpool did not succeed uh, with the England national team because he had to be the dominant team whereas at other clubs where I worked with him at Fulham we were always the underdog and that worked well so Solskjaer is, is a young manager he hasn't had many jobs but uh, I think it's uh, it's safe to say that he he uh, his style of football will work better at a top club. He wants to try and he wants to have the ball. He wants to attack. He wants to entertain. Uh, and you know he's he's brought up. He's lived through that uh, Manchester United school of of football. Um, so definitely he. He is uh, suited better to manage Manchester United than Cardiff because uh, Cardiff is a different ball game. Um, obviously, the magnitude of the job will be a challenge, but the style of play that he wants to implement, that's the style of play I think Manchester United should have. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So if reports are to be believed, United's summer target for their next manager was steering Spurs to victory in the North London derby last night. Maurizio Pochettino's Tottenham won 2-0 at the Emirates in the Carabao Cup quarterfinals, eliminating Arsenal and setting up a semi-final date with Chelsea. Now, James, you wrote about Maurizio Pochettino for the Times, a man who might just be the most prized manager in European football right now. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I think in some senses he he probably is. I think clearly he's done, as we as we all know, he's, he's done a lot of good work with Tottenham. He's obviously been in the job for five, this is his fifth season. And in in some sense, he's kind of improved year on year, although they didn't improve in the league last season. They obviously improved substantially in what they did in, in Europe. And he's someone who... I guess it was it apart from his last season at Espanyol when things went a bit pear shaped. He doesn't really have any kind of significant failures on his record. Whereas no, he doesn't. And even the Espanyol one, a lot of players had left. I mean, I think most people gave him a pass for that. Whereas uh, I guess if you look at some of the, I, I don't really know who, who who might be in the frame, but if you look at some of the other kind of out of work managers, you know, the likes of Conte or I don't know, like. I guess Roberto Martinez has been mentioned as being a candidate for being the Real Madrid job, for example, long term. They, they've all got, you know, a much more kind of significant recent failure on their record. Pochettino's stature as he has been in charge of Tottenham has kind of increased year on year to the point where I think he's now sort of regarded as, he's now regarded as being an elite manager at a club that with all due respect to Tottenham are probably not regarded as being an elite European club. So I, I guess there's kind of, there's a slight element of next cab off the rank to it. In terms of what Manchester United, of what they've always kind of said that they're about, the United way, playing kind of attacking progressive football, you know, bringing through young players and also having that kind of element of long-term sustainability, Pochettino clearly ticks a lot of those boxes and I think the club obviously having sort of dispensed with those principles to appoint Jose Mourinho because they sort of felt they were in win-now mode and having been very burnt by that and I think probably feeling quite regretful that they they went against those those ideals I think probably want to go back to to those ideals and I think from that point of view Pochettino is certainly compatible I'm curious to hear what you guys think Pochettino has a contract through 2023 I mean if I'm Daniel Levy I'm doing backflips you know when I found out that Mourinho was sacked (laughs) because what it means is that whoever wants Pochettino whether it's United or it's Real Madrid, is going to have to absolutely pay through the nose. Because even if Pochettino says, I want to leave, which is, is hard for him to come out and, and, and say that, right? He's in a tough position because I think he does have genuine relationships with the supporters and he genuinely does love Tottenham Hotspur. I, I'm trying to imagine how you even go about it if you're United in pursuing him, if that's what you want to do, given that there's a whole other element to this, which is that Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur have to play each other. They play in the same league. You know, you want to talk about, yeah, you can go through the front door, call up Daniel Levy and say, okay, can we talk to Pochettino? And he says no. And then you come back and you say, hey, Daniel, can we talk to Pochettino? By the way, here's 10 million pounds for your time. No. He can absolutely bleed them dry. And if you go circuitously, right, through friends and intermediaries, Daniel Levy knows you're coming. He's got his spies everywhere. 
<laughs> you know, he can string you up for, for tapping up. And it's, it's more, even more serious because you're not tapping up somebody in a different country you're not playing against, you know, which would be the case with Real Madrid. I, I'm wondering, I mean, Allison, you're a lawyer. Um, <laughs> how do you go about this? Well, it's the, it's the oldest story. Do you send story. Sir Alex oh. to have lunch with him? That worked once before. Yeah, the trouble is, there's always there are so many people with camera phones that you. It is virtually impossible to have secret assignations. Really, it is. But in a, in a sense, they're not necessary. I mean, there's the subtext is so loud and bold. Pochettino knows he knows he could go to Manchester United, and it's, it's he, he holds all the cards. It's up to him to decide what to do. And I think. The really interesting bit is, is he more or less likely to go if he wins something with Spurs this season? If he wins something with Spurs this season and they've got the new stadium and he, you know, he's already fated, imagine what's hap- what would happen if Spurs actually won something. Right? Let's just picture that. There'd be ticker tape everywhere. Why would you turn your back on that? Because your five years of building a team, working with quite a lot of young players and integrating them really quite well on the whole and keeping a settled team together. A couple of mistakes along the way, but not, nothing too glaring. And then you win something. Is that when you hop off? When you hop off and go to Manchester United? I think he's more likely to go to Manchester United if he doesn't win something, because that's the thing that will bug him. He's a really ambitious man, everyone close to him says. Re- much more ambitious than his persona that you see at press conferences or on the telly. So he's more likely to be impatient and think, I'm more likely to win something with the money I... I, and resources I would have at Manchester United than I would at Spurs. So uh, I just think that's a really weird situation. Am I right to be thinking in. that fans would be far more understanding if you went to Real Madrid than Manchester United? Of course. And that it would make more sense for him to go to Real Madrid than Manchester United? No, but he he, he also knows that Real Madrid. How long you don't get very long at Real Madrid, do you? But he in the current in the current pattern of the way things are going, Manchester United would invest in him for longer than one season. The guy before him got two and a half years. Mourinho got three years. I mean, no, but if you assume he's going to change things and maybe not be as successful as they want him to be, he's he's a bit more long term thinking than some managers. To to the point that you made, Gab, I, I don't find Tottenham's position quite as enviable as you because I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right in what you say. Sign a new contract doesn't contain a release clause. They'd have to buy out in full. I think the price of doing that is. Forty-three million pounds, yeah, that's a lot of money. But like, I mean, that as we know these days is the price of like of a sort of fairly average. No, it's not. No, and it's not. We we need to stop this. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You you've touched a nerve. <laughs> this idea you can't buy anything for fifty million. No, all right. Just because but like, some clubs go and buy garbage and overspend it uh, on it, that is a ton of money. Forty-three million pounds. I'm going off the top of my head. I'm guessing Tottenham's turnover must be like three hundred million or something. It's, it's, it's a huge amount of money. It's an enormous amount of money for Tottenham. And that's to buy him out. But the point is, it's not just about buying him out. They're not allowed to even speak to him without Levy's permission. Levy could charge him for that. It's, it's not just you, you go, you show up, and, and, and buy out his contract, right? You've got so much leverage here if you're Levy, if you pay your cards right. You know. Completely, but I think, you know, from Manchester United's point of view... 43 million, okay, yeah, it's not an insignificant amount of money whatsoever. But if you truly believe that Mauricio Pochettino is the best man to be your next manager and you think he could be your next manager maybe for the next five years, maybe for more, 43 million pounds is kind of, you know, to get that man 
I mean, that's this that's kind of the argument that Woodward made when he signed Luke Shaw when when you know put up the fact. Well, but if he's your left back for the next ten years and you amortize it, you spread it over time. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm not saying he's too expensive for Manchester United. I'm just saying I'm looking at it from Tottenham's perspective. Yeah, I mean, they're in a they're certainly in a better. They're in a tremendous they're in a tremendous position, and I also think if there's one thing you you would assume that Daniel Levy understands more than most. Yeah, Pochettino's fantastic; he's a fantastic job. But Levy more than most would understand that nobody is irreplaceable. Hello and welcome to The Sweeper, uh, the Times' fantasy football tip service. I'm Paddy Bombert, uh, on my own this week in the absence of Charlie Scott. Starting with midweek, I guess, there were some interesting team selections which could impact on your fantasy football teams. Raheem Sterling was on the bench for City, came on for a, a, a short stint, so that's encouraging. Leroy Sané wasn't even in the squad, so that's very encouraging. Uh, Harry Kane apparently had a cold in the week. He came off the bench, which is great news as well. Aubameyang played a full 90 minutes, uh, but more on that later. And Callum Wilson started as well so he's fit again so some excellent midweek stuff um Eden Hazard also came off the bench for Chelsea and scored a goal he looks in fine form uh, he's going to be the main talking point this week I suspect he's going to be one of the most transferred in players much like last week's advice with Mohamed Salah I would say uh, get him if you can obviously he's got a nice run of games it looks as though their players are going to score some points soon um, but don't tear apart your team just to get him in um, you don't want to cause yourself any unnecessary damage you're going to have to probably get rid of someone like Salah we saw what he could do with that hat-trick against Bournemouth they've got Newcastle at home next week um, you might have to get rid of Kane. Spurs have got nice games. He's rarely rested. They've got a full complement of fit players again. Surely the goals are coming. Maybe you'll have to get rid of Aubameyang. He's had a couple of down weeks, but the stats have looked very good. Um, surely there's a haul coming. Arsenal's fixtures are good. I mentioned he played 90 minutes in midweek, but uh, we saw the way Burnley shut up shop against Spurs last weekend. I suspect they'll do something similar against Arsenal, which means you'd expect Aubameyang and Lacazette to play. They're going to really have to bang down that door uh, when Burnley put five at the back and look to consolidate. So I would expect him to play again. I'd expect him to score points soon. If you have a mid-range to expensive player you can get rid of and enable some space for Hazard, then by all means go for it, but don't ruin your team over one player. Uh, Aside from that, the usual advice, you know, freshen up your bench, make sure you've got a full squad, make sure you've got players who can come on and score points when when your big stars are rested. There's going to be rotation, there's going to be all sorts of that stuff when it gets really, really busy over Christmas, so make sure you're prepared for it. Um, Much more of that uh, in our weekly email. You can sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football or find that link in the podcast description or you can go to our Facebook group, just search for The Sweeper on Facebook. Uh, ask us your questions, post screenshots of your teams, uh, and Charlie and I will get back to as many of you as we possibly can. It is time now for our weekly predictions game, where we pick five matches from the weekend and, and try and predict the score. And Gab, of course you don't need a reminder, but I am going to remind you that I currently lead this 10-5. Yeah, but that's a little bit like goals and expected goals based on XP, <laughs> which is uh, expected <laughs> predictions based on your prediction locations. Um, I'm actually ahead oh, really? 7.8 to 4.2. <laughs> okay, then. Anyway, let's kick this off. Yeah. Newcastle and Fulham. Now, it's Claudio Ranieri against Rafa Benitez, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, there's a wonderful arc with managers because when they manage big clubs, they start, we start making fun of them and, and criticizing them. Remember all those, the, the steak Rafa got at Liverpool and Claudio Ranieri, the tinker man, and you don't know what you're doing and speak <laughs> freaking English and whatever, right? And now that they're at, no disrespect, smaller clubs, at least by position and uh, turnover, we all love them again. They're all we like kindly do. uncles. We all yeah. wanted to do well. So who are you feeling warmer and fuzzier about? Oh, well, I, I think it's really tricky. Um, I just have a feeling for Newcastle. I, I've, 
you know what you're saying about Claudia Ranieri. You can't help but smile and talk about Claudia Ranieri. I want him to do well at Fulham, but it is Fulham. Remember, I'm a Brentford fan. So this is true. I'm not that bothered about Fulham, but I like Ranieri. Having said that, it's going to be a Newcastle 1-0 win for me. Well, um, I'm going to go in the opposite direction, given Ooh. Newcastle's home record this season and given the fact that uh, I've argued all along that Fulham's squad are much better than the results, at least on paper, even though they were put together like some demented child's panini sticker collection. <laughs> so I'm going to say um, Newcastle nil, Fulham won. Crazy Claudio. And will uh, Mitrovic get that goal? Returning. Oh, that would be a story, wouldn't it? I'll tell you who won't get the goal, Tim Ream. sorry Tim no disrespect it's your defender right (laughs) okay let's switch our attention to uh, the one in in Wales Cardiff against Manchester United Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first game in charge you can go first oh can I yes please this is actually a really bad start for for Solskjaer (laughs) he's got to go and deal with Neil Warnock and Against his old club. Club that probably don't like him very much. Um, Dead cat bounce, right? (laughs) Manchester United, 2-0. Ooh, okay. I think Cardiff just have a bit of a knack of scoring. They might not win all the time, but they do have a bit of a knack of scoring. I do agree. I think United will win, and I'm going for a 2-1 victory. We've got Everton uh, taking on the mighty Tottenham Hotspur. League Cup semi-finalist Tottenham Hotspur. Harry Kane coming off the bench despite having the flu and setting up a goal, Tottenham Hotspur. But he's against the very big brain of the very little Marco Silva. (laughs) What a way of... uh, Well, he's not that little. He just looks like he'd be little. (laughs) Okay, then. Um, Again, I thought this was really tough. I think there'll be goals in this one. I'm going for a 2-1 Tottenham win. Ooh, interesting. Well, I will go in the opposite direction. Go on, Marco. Go on, Jordan. 3-2, Everton. 3-2. Right, okay. Uh, Into League One, then. It's Portsmouth against Sunderland. Two teams vying for promotion. So it's at first versus third. Any ideas? It's the EFL. (laughs) (laughs) You're asking me. And And it's League One. There's a there's a documentary out about Sunderland. There is. Um, I mean, they're former Premier League clubs. I do know a tiny bit about them. I remember one the, the year that all those weirdos were trying to buy Portsmouth, and they had that 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 that, that the whole succession of strange owners. Um, come on, Sunderland are not a League One club, right? So I'm going to um, go for the draw. Oh, one one. Oh. I can show you. I've done. I've gone mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. the same. <laughs> Look at you. I've gone for a one-all draw as well. Yeah, and also in the Bundesliga, oh. uh, Eintracht Frankfurt gegen Bayern München. <laughs> Was meinst du, Natalie? <laughs> um, I'm just guessing what you've just said there, but I'm just going to give you my prediction, which I hope is what you've asked. Um, yeah. Uh, I think Bayern Munich, I know they didn't get off to the... They've had a bit of a funny season with Nico Kovac. Um, and so I am going for... A Bayern win, 2-1 at Frankfurt. Nein. By the way, Frankfurt haven't beaten them for eight years. Yeah, ja, das ist das, das genau. Und das ist gut. <laughs> Nico Kovac <laughs> kommt gegen seinen ehemaligen Club, aber mm, das weiß ich nicht. No, I, um, Bayern have been in a tiny bit of a role. Funnily enough, it's coincided with Thiago Cantor's uh, uh, return. Um, but I think there's still issues. Uh, they played really tough against Leipzig last night. They only beat them 1-0 at home, but Eintracht Frankfurt, you're right. That record makes a difference. I'm going to go Eintracht 0, Bayern München 2. So that's 2-0. That's 2-0. There you go. 
just time to give the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked who are the two Premier League clubs without an English goal scorer in the league this season? You've all been racking your brains thinking about this one. I think it's a club that hasn't scored very many goals. Okay. Stand to reason and obviously doesn't have many English players in their starting 11. All um, right. Wolves. I think... Yeah, I was going to say, I think Wolves... Alison got in there quicker, though. ...is one. <laughs> I'm trying to think of English players at Newcastle, except for my boy John Joe. Dummit. Dummit's Welsh. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's a wholly owned subsidiary. Enough of this. I, I, I think Wolves is correct, right, Alison? Wolves we need to give Alison credit for I this. I think Wolves but. is good. So Wolves is definitely one, and Newcastle is the other. Oh, oh we're good. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to our excellent guests today. Alison Rod, James Gearbrand, Ollie Kate, and, of course, Breda Hangeland. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday on Christmas Eve in the morning. Yay. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. 